This is No Stop Lights with Ken Ard. Welcome to another edition of No Stop Lights. I want to thank our sponsors once again, Mickey Fins, Marlboro PD Electric, Schofields, Carolina Bank, Pepsi of Florence. Hey, we've um, we've talked a lot in the last several days about um, education. And, um, and, and, you know, Dr. Rich O'Malley's with us, and, um, and, and we'll, we'll kind of debate, discuss, and, and have dialogue on some issues we're dealing with, specifically to the tax increase. But then I want to get um, kind of rambling about on some other things here. But, but I want to preface this conversation by saying what I said much earlier this morning. We all have a ideological, philosophical perspective we come from. It, it, it is of your own making, but others contributed to that. I was uh, kind of debating with a friend of ours, Rev, yesterday about my, my opinion on, uh, on taxes and tax increases. And I said, hey, man, I was raised by a self-made business guy who believed the government was out to get him every day. Now, now whether they were or not, what was up for debate, I guess some days they were and other days they were not. I can't run from that. I can't deny that. That, that is my predisposition. That's the, kind of, um, that's the events and experiences that shape my opinion about government. So philosophically and ideologically, I'm going to always naturally be inclined to oppose tax increases. Uh, you know, the government's getting bigger. The government has more money. And I'm not just talking about education. I'm talking about infrastructure and the IRS and the FBI and the CIA. And uh, the last thing they need is more of our money. So, but, but I want you to understand as listeners to this show that, that when, when I talk to Dr. Rich O'Malley, it is from a perspective of being somebody who just, just believes that government has enough money, doesn't need any more money, but I don't have an obligation to run a school district. I mean, I don't have 15,000 kids uh, to make sure they're proficient in education. And that's why I'm enthusiastic about Dr. O'Malley agreeing to come on. We can have some of these discussions that I think are necessary and warranted to help us understand what the district is trying to do, uh, why they're arguing that they need, that they need more money. So, so, you know, I I just want to, I want to, I want to, that's kind of my prelim to some of the questioning and debating and, uh, and dialogue we'll have with Dr. Rich O'Malley, superintendent of Florence District 1. Good morning, sir. How are you? I am wonderful. How are you? I am doing well. So so let's let's start in the beginning. In the beginning, um, <laughs> you, you come here uh, from a land far, far away. And, and I've told you this on the record and off the record. I think you inherited a culture of incompetence, a culture of irresponsibility. I applaud what you've done in addressing that culture. But in 2019, um, we, the people, were asked to support a $198 million tax increase via a referendum in February of 2019. I think we voted that down, 75-25. That was in no way, shape, or form an insult to your abilities, but rather political retribution for those who came before you. Um, You still got a lot of things done that we thought we needed the $198 million a lot of people have asked me, okay, if they needed the $198 million to do these things, they didn't get the $198 million, but they were able to do a lot of these things anyway. They didn't need the damn money to begin with. Kind of walk us through how you accepted losing the referendum, but were still able to build stadiums, build buildings, renovate facilities. Well, it's uh, I don't like to go backwards, but I would have to say that the referendum probably was the best thing that happened to me. I probably didn't feel that way that night. Um, but what it 
allowed me to do is to showcase what I think um, what is what the board hired me to do is we've we've got to do those things um, and we got to figure out a way to do it. And I, I think just looking at sort of how things worked, um, I'm not a go along to get along kind of guy, so it was naturally for me to to dig in and fight and say, well, I, I may have lost the battle, but I'm not going to lose the war. And so that's what we did. And we sort of chipped away at how can we use our money wisely? And I, and I think, you know, I'm not going to sit here this morning to try. Um, you know, we're two former politicians that get to talk about things and, <laughs> and say a lot of things, hopefully this morning, that won't get me in trouble, but maybe. Um, but what those guys on Friday can't say, which is unfortunate. I, I think I've never come into a job to say, I'm not afraid to get fired. I'm going to do what's right. And if things work out, they work out. And I think that's what our society is today. I think our politicians suffer from that because they can't do what's right because of the way we are. But that's that's where we are and we have to figure a way around it. So I, I don't get, as an educator, there I only get my revenue from taxes, period. I have no say in whether I like it or not. I have no say on how you collect, whether it's from businesses or whether it's from individual property tax. It's the way of my world. I have to deal with that. And so um, I think, in my opinion, and I, and I would consider myself a fiscal conservative, uh, we've moved away from how government spends its money to just focus on taxes. And I think what we've done is reprioritize how we spent the money we currently get. And I think that is an important part of this discussion. And I think that's how we've tried to build trust. I only have two sorts of taxes. There's an operating millage and then there's a debt millage that we've had. Uh, we have not raised the operating millage since 2017. In 2017, it was raised about 9.3 mils um, to where we are currently. So we've been operating and doing all those things. And I don't think there's a person in Florence today, whether they like me, whether they're a Clemson fan or a Gamecock <laughs> fan, that can't say we've done some really amazing things on any metric that anybody wants to say. And we've done that without raising taxes. Now, we did have to raise a tax on the debt, um, which hasn't been raised in 30 years. We raised that, but we lowered it. And I think people said to me, well, why are you going to lower it? You're just going to have to do it again. I just feel that if I need the money, I'm going to spend it. But if I don't need it, I give it back. And that's rare. I find myself to be rare, but I think taxes are about, and I think spending the money wisely is far more important than the tax issue. You can be against taxes. Um, I can't. Um, I would say in your world, you can't be against advertising. You wouldn't be sitting here if you had a philosophical thing about advertising. It's how you're funded. So I appreciate that understanding, but I think ultimately it's got to be about, and I think that's where if there's anything that people can't say is I'm not the establishment. I, I've spent my life not being the establishment in education, and it's about I can spend their money wisely, and then if, and that's why I'm here today, if I need more money, I'm going to tell you why. And I'm not going to complain that the state has to give me more money. The federal government money is not going to be, uh, uh, is not going to solve education. I, I, I think with the federal stimulus money and all that shows, it didn't fix anything. I think how you spend the current money is far more important conversation that we need to have. Let, let, let's go. So in 2019, when you get here, I went back and looked at some numbers on uh, the FSB1 website. 
In 2019, the, the 1920 budget was 157 million. Mm-hmm. The proposed budget is 191.7 million. Uh, why why do we need an additional what 30 33 34 million dollars from 19 and 20 when the referendum failed? That's the only reason I'm framing it this way. When the referendum fails, the the general fund operating budget was 157 million. You're asking for 191.7 million. Why do we need that much more money? All right. So let me go back a little two years. So two years, 21, 22. I won't go back that far. It was 165 million. Okay. Last year we went up to 175.9, 10 million dollars. Uh, a majority of that, probably nine and a half million, was because we took on Florence Four. That was their budget. So all that comes. Although we merged, we took all their teachers, their buildings any debt they have, whatever it is. So that's why our budget went up so much in that time. This year, we're asking for $14.8 million. Um, there's the revenue side, and then there's the expenditure side. I think your question was more on the expenditure side. And um, I, I brought my notes here so I can talk sure. slow so people can hear me on the radio. So <laughs> that kind of helps. I, uh, I, 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 I want to get into the weeds, <laughs> but I don't want to, I want people to understand. So of that $14.8 million, 9.4 is for personnel. So of the $190 million budget, 85% of my budget is salary and benefits. I really don't have a lot of control of other things other than salary and benefits. And I think people need to understand something as well. So I would say uh, assistants are one of the reasons we want to give a raise to 90% of my, I have 400 assistants as kindergarten assistants, people who will help out in the classroom, not certified teachers. 90% of them live here in Florence of the 85% of my sort of, but 85% of the total personnel in our district, we have about 2,400, um, employees. They live right here in Florence. So when you talk about big government, when you talk about, you know, the establishment your neighbor. It's your neighbor in Florence. It's me. I live here. Uh, my kids went to the schools here. So we, we've got to stay away. And I sense, uh, I feel like it's the boogeyman politics of big government. It's, it's the Democrats here. It's the Republicans there. These are our neighbors and this is our school system. And I think we've proven that a good school system can raise a community up and unify a community. That's what we've done. So that 14.8, 9.4 is for personnel. And that includes step increases. And I think people need to understand from when uh, the state says that they're funding um, and giving teacher raises, they're only giving teachers that are on the teacher scale. That's not everyone. And then when they say they're funding it, they're only funding a teacher at the master's with 12 years experience. That's what they're funding. Anybody master's 13 up to a doctorate, you and I have to pay through our budget. So they're not funding that, which is kind of counterintuitive. You want to say we want to attract and retain the best and brightest of the teachers, yet we don't fund the people who've gone out of their way to get. And, and that would degree. be the 260 million aid to classrooms. I mean, that would be the state's additional funding that, that equaled what, 260 million. Right. They, they called it or declared it aid to classrooms. That doesn't cover every teacher. That, that is correct. And it doesn't include every employee. So I have about 1,200 certified teachers. So that's who would be covered there. But 49%, I think it's about 560 teachers, aren't funded because they have a master's and 13 years or more experience. 
So that falls on us. What they also don't fund is what we call local supplement. So every school district has the ability to say when teacher salaries were really low, uh, we're going to add an additional $1,000 as a local. We'll put that in our budget. So they don't fund that. We fund that. And that's to be competitive where a Charleston and a Greenville and, and the Midlands or your county, they can add 5000 to their local supplement. We can do that. That's hard for us to compete. So it's not that money is going to be, you've got to understand what they're doing. You know, and, and the next thing that they're doing, if I could put it in simple terms, is they're, we used to, because the state funds everything in education, money controls uh, everything, they used to have line items. So if I'm going to pay for a reading coach, it was a separate line item because the state wanted to say, hey, we're paying for these reading coaches. Well, what you hear them talk about is how they've rolled up money there to give us more flexibility. It has nothing to do with flexibility. So, for example, if you have line item one, two, and three, all right, say line item one has $10, line two and three each have a dollar in them. They took line two and three and rolled that up into one. They no longer have the other items. Now, line one now has that 10 plus the additional two for 12. So they'll say they're giving more money to education. They're not. They're just rolling it up into an account that has more money. They don't talk about the others have zero. So that rolling up is also sort of a funding fallacy, I would call it, that we're getting more money. Now, we are giving more money, and I will say, since I've been here, every single budget has given teachers and school district more money. And so I don't want to say that they're not. Um, and I also don't want to say money is going to solve our problem. Did we address the issue with teachers starting pay? I mean, yeah. I, I know South Carolina aggressively tried to address and become more competitive in starting pay for a teacher that just graduates from Clemson or South Carolina. Or have we adequately addressed that? I, I don't, we were so far behind. Um, I don't think you can say yes. And that's why I say every year that I've been here, Governor McMaster has put in his first thing in his budget, teacher pay, teacher pay. But you can't compete when you're so far behind with other. I say of the people that are leaving our district every year, they're going out of state. Most of them are going out of state because they can pay. You're never going to fill that gap uh, and compare to other places. It's too much. But yes, we are addressing that. But the profession as a whole um, is it. And, and, and we've taken the approach. It's not just about pay. If you really talk about educators and people that have been in the system for it's other quality of life things, having, having preschool, uh, having their kids in the school, you know, parental leave and things like that, tuition reimbursement, things that are good quality of life and paying for health insurance. I think those are the kinds of things we need to look at as a state that we've been doing to help retain and attract teachers. It's not always about pay and education. Hold on to that. Let's take our first break. Dr. Rich O'Malley, Superintendent, Florence District 1. I kind of want to get in the weeds a bit on um, he talked about salary and salary related. I, I want to kind of focus on that. I think there's a lot to learn um, and educate our listeners about um, some of the complications of compensation in, uh, in government. <laughs> Superintendent Florence District School 1 is with us. I'm the no hate or the no tax hating business guy that, um, that rails against any tax increase that ever comes uh, down the pike. One of the complexities of being in politics is to be conservative. I mean, it really and truly is. It puts you in a very um, complicated and conflicted um, situation. You're in business, and then you get in government, and you believe all of your life that business is controlled by government. Government's the big problem, the reason everything's going awry. And awry. Anyway, um, and then you become part of the problem instead of part of, of the solution. 
but but the one thing that I've always paid close attention to, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's government accounting or not. Two plus two equals four. Four plus four equals eight. Eight plus eight equals sixteen. Um, I can't go much further than that. <laughs> but um, but but Dr. Malley, I, I want to go here for a second because I think if you could explain this to our listeners, we would better understand um the the nature of government accounting and, and public education. So you mentioned a second ago that twelve hundred two teachers in school district one. Um, and I, you know, I'll let you distinguish what is a, this kind of teacher, uh, juxtaposed to that kind of teacher, the state average for a salary in South Carolina is 53, 326. I got to believe we're kind of close to the state average. I'm making an assumption. Maybe we aren't, but, uh, but if you take 1202, you multiply by the state average, you come up with $65 million. Your, 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 your ask is 192 million from 176 million, 190. I'm rounding off here. But stick with me for a second. That means that we got 847 non-teachers splitting $100 million. As a business guy, that raises a red flag. Help me understand what what is, I mean, in the private sector, I have a contract to host this radio show. I have a base salary. I have a performance bonus and another performance bonus. And I get a quarterly this. And if we exceed this number, what is all in on a teacher? I mean, if the, if the average salary is 53, 326, but we hear a lot about retirement and and insurance and help us understand what what it costs the district to 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 retain and maintain uh, a good solid teacher. So um, that average is basically sort of the starting point. So, like I said, the twelve hundred um, certified teachers, um, half of them are at that master's um, twelve. Half of them are above that, so they make far more than that. Okay. But when you take that, you've got health health insurance. You've got that. You know, we talked about last year. Health insurance went up eighteen percent from the state. Um, this year, it's three percent. And, and remember, they and do you got to find that money. I have to find it. But what's interesting is they do it on a calendar year. I'm not. I'm on a fiscal year. So in essence, I've got two budget years to do to account for. I've got 18% in half of the year and I've got 3% in another half of the year. They'll make, so when I do this year's budget, I'm accounting for 3%, but I don't know what they're going to do for the second half, which is quarter one and quarter two that I have to budget for or find in my budget if I do it wrong. Um, so, you know, an average teacher salary is fine. We're probably much lower than that. I think we're probably an average just below 50,000. Um, but uh, workman's comp and all those things. The sort of formula you have is take your salary and multiply it times 0.31, an additional 30%. That gives you the full understanding of what a teacher would cost the district. And I think that's that's an important part of understanding that. How much influence do you have in a defined retirement plan or health insurance? Zero. And I think that's the stuff that really aggravates me is everything is done at the state. And that's why we have... Uh, what we have at the state. Everybody's sort of on the same level playing field of we get our health insurance. We have to be part. I mean, I've been told since I've been here, I can't get, I I try to act like a business person. I know people may not think that because I represent the government, um, but I try to act like a business and I want control. I've had control in my previous 20 years of all aspects of running a school district like a business. But the state does. And they've been telling me for years I can't do it. But when I question that, I can do it. They just don't want me because they. the more people, if you know insurance, 
the more people you have and the better the risk pool or the lower the mm -hmm. risk pool and the more profits for insurance companies. I'd like to shop and we're going to do that. But again, we're going to challenge the status quo to say, hey, how much can I work with every year to help pay for what we want to pay for? But, but you would agree the General Assembly thinks that the danger of that is to run into the uh, an administrator who is not financially minded. He doesn't understand the game of finance, that they have control. And, and I get it. I mean, I, I've mm -hmm. argued, and if Jay and Mike and Rick, uh, excuse me, Jay, Mike, and Philip were sitting where you are today, I'd say the General Assembly in South Carolina has too much control. I mean, I've said that redundantly. I believe that. But but to their credit, they would argue what happens when we get a school district managed by somebody who not is, who is not a financial um, sound mind. And, and and that is absolutely true. And you you they'll probably say that when you ask them, uh, as people had said in the referendum, I'll give you 198 million, but I'm not giving that government the money. They're just going to waste it. That is the problem in South Carolina. There's not too many people that are going to buck the system. I have bucked the system. I'm not popular. Um, I I don't go along to get along. And I'm going to challenge everything because that's why I was hired. I'm not hired to just kind of get along. And so I I think. I think our legislators, it's hard for them to say they support their local public school because it's, you know, they spend the most money and they have taxes that are associated. But I think they would all agree that what we've done in Florence One and that they'd like to give it to me, but they, they can't trust the people around the state. I don't know how many times that they've said that. And I don't disagree with them. It's just wasted money. People are happy with going along to get along. We're constitutionally going to get paid. And people know that. And they just there's just no willingness to be better. I always say, you know, we're a, a, a one and eight baseball team that wants to be, uh, you know, zero and ten, uh, and I want to be undefeated. So you understand. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you understand the frustration the taxpayer has with education in general. I'm gonna use air quotes here. Um, the um, the wastefulness of education, the, the 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 lack of accounting and responsibility of education. I mean, you're arguing. Trust me, I'm going to be responsible. I am of sound financial discipline. But but certainly, you understand the taxpayer saying here, education is again right. asking for more of my hard-earned money. I would say that is the number one thing I've tried to develop since the referendum is trust. And I think over five years, when I haven't asked. And I hate asking people for money. Um, I hate asking somebody to help me do something. I'm going to do it by myself and I'm going to try to show. And I think that's what we've done. I haven't raised the operating millage since I've been here. And we've been able to produce these results. And we raised the tax, then we lowered it. So I'm trying to build trust. And I don't want to be lumped in with others um, who don't spend the money wisely, who don't do the right thing. I'm, I'm willing to stand on my record. I'm willing to stand on any accountability system that someone has for me. But when I do ask, I want you to understand that I'm okay to explain it, but I also want to know that you recognize what we're doing. I think that's the important part of this. Uh, this number concerns me, and I want to get your take on this. So you got 1,202 teachers, um, and I'm just going by the average, and I had to assume that. You've got $100 million of taxpayer dollars being spent on 847 people who aren't teaching. Help, help me understand that. I mean, as a, as a business guy, that's a red flag to me. That that concerns me. Um, why why do we have 847 non-teachers splitting $100 million of the 190, uh, well, I mean, eventually $192 million general fund budget? 
Well, they're all not making that sixty thousand. That, sure. That's what I'm saying. Sure. There, you have people well above that. You have people. Um, half of the people make well above that, and so it costs a lot more. And then insurance costs and the other point three one that I talked about covers that. So that eight forty seven covering the other hundred million is respectfully not accurate when you do the math. Sure. Um, so eighty five percent of that one ninety is all those salaries and benefits. So, so teachers aren't underpaid in Florence District One. I would be hard to say that they're not under the underpaid. I would say in comparison to whom, if we just look in our in our state, um, they're underpaid compared to Charleston and Greenville, and I think they've produced more. So to me, they should be rewarded on what they have done, not just because they're a teacher. So I think our teachers should be paid more than those in Charleston, just because they're in Charleston um, doesn't make them better, and we've proven it. And, um, so I don't think that, I think they're, I think we need to, you know, during, um, the COVID period, everybody was talking about how wonderful teachers are, you know, only in emergencies and situations that we rally, but we never put our money where our, where, where our mouths are in some sense to say, Hey, these are the most important. I think that's what I've been trying to do in Florence is say this K-12 school district is so important to everything to build a good community. Um, and the teachers and all everyone that's part of it is your community and they should be rewarded and not because they're being paid out of taxes, not somebody to be demonized in a sense of because where the revenue comes and, from. And I, I don't think questioning is, is demonizing. I mean, I'm certainly not demonizing yeah. teachers. I have great respect for teachers. I, I just think, you know, there has to be this balance of taxpayer interest and, and what public education deserves. You mentioned COVID. I want to get your take on this. So in CARES 1, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe my math is off here, but I went back and looked at the Elementary Secondary School Emergency Relief Fund. Uh, they, they've got all these acronyms, E-S-S-E-R, you know, COVID-1, uh, excuse me, CARES 1, CARES 2, and the American Rescue Plan. In CARES 1, it looks to me like the district got $4.5 million. In CARES 2, it looks like the district got $17.9 million. And in the American Rescue Plan, it looks like there was kind of a two-thirds allocation and a one-third allocation and it totaled forty million dollars. So um, you give me right a thumbs on. up here. So, so the the district got about sixty two million dollars in what I'll call COVID money. What did we do with the COVID money? What do you want to do with the balance left unspent of the COVID funds? Um, so each one of those are absolutely correct. That was I what I would call that's life changing money. Um, but what you can do, and 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 if you think you should be worried now. You should be worried next year, come September, when that money goes away. If you use this money for operating expenses, you are in big trouble. And just think about, that's two months away from a presidential election. What are they going to do? They're going to bail out all these people who have spent it poorly. But just to give you some big buckets, I wrote it down here. So $62.5 million, $27 million of that was used for construction. The West Florence Wing, the new North Vista. So we want it. Those are things we could not do in a referendum. We put it towards construction. One-time costs, I think, are important, too. We've done some things with air quality and um, um, the boiler systems. We're replacing the uh, cooling systems at both West and uh, at Wilson, almost $4 million. And then other air quality, changing some of the HVAC and things like that. We spent $10 million in technology. You know, we, we have Chromebooks and things that we had to do while we're online. We used to use those in our, what we call our 8% money. So we used that for 10 million there. 8 million of it had to be set aside for what they called learning loss. So tutors for kids, different 
academic programs and stuff like that. That that had to be allocated eight million to the side. Um, another ten million was used for supplies and health supplies at the beginning. That all that scare was about you know PPE and all those things. So we spent about ten million on that, and then four point five was what we call under their categories. They had 15 categories, how we could spend the money was called continuity of services. So to continue services, um, some, uh, custodial contracts that we entered to clean our buildings and things like that. So that all equals the 62.5. I think what gets lost in the conversation though, is people, and all this is on our website, you know, and we could, we had, we only had to put it in those 15 buckets of money and that's how we've spent the 62. None of it was for operations because I can't, I can't afford when that cliff falls, you better brace yourself. One time money recurring expenses right. and, doesn't work. And you know, I mean, you could just look right here in North Carolina. I think, you know, Wake County, I talked about spending $400 million on salaries and things like that. Well, that is going to be the cliff that nobody wants to talk about. And it's going to come out a period of time where I think they're just going to put a Band-Aid on it because people spent it poorly. Uh, but over, otherwise, what you have to understand is, they didn't just give us this money. I don't have it in the Rich O'Malley Florence One bank account. So they only keep, the state keeps the money. Now, remember, the State Department of Education keeps 10% of the total money that the state got. So they have over $300 million sitting in Columbia, just in the State Department, not in the General Assembly, for what they can use. I have no idea what they spent it on. They have, I have there was no plan there was no plan to say, districts, you spend it on this, we'll cover this. It, it, that's the leadership that's just been lacking on top of that. But getting back to my other point is we have to then ask for that money. So I, so I have $27 million in construction. I could only ask for the $8 million that I use for West Florence that I get. So somebody will say, well, you have got $19 million sitting there. How come you didn't spend it? Well, I can't do that until the next North Vista is finished. So... I would say, and what I've asked is, can't you put, imagine, just imagine if I took 62 million and spread it amongst all the banks in Florence, what that would do for our local economy, what that would do for all the banks, and that we would draw off our local banks. But what they do is they keep that money, they gain all the interest, and then I can't do it until I finalize. So when I, if I use it for a teacher, for tutoring for a kid, until that tutoring is complete, I can't ask for that money. So you get into the argument of the government saying, well, they haven't spent all this money and what are we going to do with it? Well, that's not true. The truth is I can't go get it until I've proven that I have spent it. So the 48.5% the state declares as having already been spent, that, that's kind of a misrepresentation of the actual reality. Correct, because you can't, you can't expend that. Gotcha. Until you have the receipts. There's got to be somewhat of a warrant on the or a receipt on the yeah. other side. Hey, Correct. let's take a break. I want to come back. Dr. Rich O'Malley, Superintendent of Florence District School. Uh, school District Number 1 is here this morning trying to explain um, why the school district is asking for a tax increase. Um, he's agreed to stay as long as we need him to. And uh, we still got some material here I want to cover to make sure we um And I'm not here to be confrontational. I, I, I'm certainly not. I mean, I have an opinion. And I had I told Rich, I got a good friend of mine, a real conservative friend of mine, text me about six minutes ago and said, hey, the guy explains himself well. I believe in education. I don't want to slot kids, but it's still a tax increase. And a tax increase is a tax increase is a tax increase. And I'm tired of paying taxes. 
you get that. I mean, you respect the sentiment of the average guy out there saying, oh, damn, man, when is enough enough? I don't like taxes either. And that, that's why I started with what I started with is I only get my money from the taxes. But I, again, my my opinion is I've got to show the taxpayer that I'm spending it wisely. I think that builds the trust. But but I don't like taxes. That's one of the reasons why the board of my contract says you've got to live in your town. So if you make those decisions, you've got to live with it. So a tax increase comes from me as well as everybody, and I've got to live with it. And I got to live with it every day because when I go to the grocery store, I might see that person and they're going to say, I don't like. Rich, we got about three minutes in this okay. say, but I want to touch on something here. There's a big debate in Washington about corporations buying favor of the federal government, BlackRock, Vanguard, some of the big companies. Corporate America is too cozy with big government and they get these um, these lucrative tax deals. They get fees in lieu of, they, they get tax policy very advantageous to their business how how much does education pay as a result of some of the abatements that local governments give to attract business and industry? All right. So we get to that revenue side. Um, in 2018, when I first came here, um, the district lost uh, every year $12 million to tax abatements, free and, fee and lieu. But you understand why the local governments do it. A- absolutely. And, and as of this year, fiscal year 22, that number has grown to $18 million. So my argument about tax abatements, I was on local council. I get it. Um, I get being in the room. You know, the corporations have you. And at the end of the day, they know where they have you and you're going to make the best deal. All I'm saying is, is you have to re-examine where Florence is now. I think we've got problems now, but they're good problems with other, you know, rather than closing schools and declining, we've got businesses that are coming. We've got good problems, I call it, but we've got to address how we're going to have that in the future with tax abatements. I'm not asking for all that $18 million. All I'm saying is you need to carve out a little bit now to say the school district has to pay for enrollment and other things, infrastructure, we need to start looking at that a little differently. Here, let me just walk you through if I could. We talked about, I'm asking for $14.9 million, right? This is the revenue side now. So of that, um, the breakdown is this, 6.7 million is for taxes. And I'll get back to that in a second. 5.7 is from additional state educational funding. So the state's given us more aid. And then the remaining 2.4 is from the state and under tax relief. That's what we call tier one, two, tier two, and two, three. So let's talk about that 6.7, which is the taxes. Of that tax, okay, 3.8 of that is related to commercial growth and real estate. So they're going to be paying more of that through that. What I am asking for, my actual tax increase is $2.9 million. So that's the six mills I'm asking for. We generate 432,000 per mill. So I'm asking for 2.9 million of the 14 that is going to be increased. So what I'm saying is if we could some way take a look at the tax abatements and say, can I carve off 2 million of that? I wouldn't be asking for a tax increase because people have to understand salaries are compounding. And that's an important part. Every year, I've got to come up with that. And again, if my revenues, I can only do so much. So I want people to understand of that $14 million that we're asking, I'm only asking for 2.9. Now, 
I will tell you, under the law, I could ask for 27.28 mils, which equals 11 million. That's what I'm allowed to do. 8% for CPI, 5.2 for increased um, census. So I could ask for 27 under the law without asking anybody for permission, and that would generate 11 million more dollars. People will say, do it. That's not me. I still am engaged to try to have trust that I only want to ask for what I need. And I think people need to understand that. Can you stay for the next hour? Absolutely. Or a few minutes for the next hour? we got to take a hard break here in just a couple of seconds. Pay some bills um, so we can pay some taxes. We'll take a break. <laughs> we'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. Last hour of a Wednesday morning. Dr. Rich O'Malley has agreed to stay for, I don't want to say for however long it takes, Really, we locked the door. I mean, he's tried to get out of here twice, and we locked the door. Um, Josh has his foot against the door. We're not letting uh, him in. He's the only person from New Jersey in South Carolina not on the Grand Strand. You know, I'm, I'm joking about this. I said earlier this week, I think we should play the Michigan-Ohio State football game at Coastal Carolina's football stadium so their fan base won't have to travel to watch their beloved Wolverines and Buckeyes play one another. <laughs> the Northern Invasion is very – but Continuous. I joked around with Rich. We could say this on the air. I joked around with Rich, and I said, you know, Rich, if you said the same thing that you're saying today, but with a Southern drawl, it would be a, a little better received. And I think he's accepted that as, as somewhat of a reality. I, I want to go to something, and I, I want to talk some more data, numbers, and stats, but, but I do want to go to the, the philosophy of a tax increase. I've always felt – when I served in elected office and had to consider whether or not to raise taxes, increase revenue, um, you know, a fine, a fee, whatever you want to call it. I mean, when you, when you try to increase the amount of revenue, government needs to do its job. I always try to think about where the people I'm asking for the money are. And my concern, Rich, is, um, I mean, you will advocate that you need more money. I, I, could, I could probably push back and say, no, you don't. We've done a little bit of that here today. But, but I do think we've got to consider the state of the economy, the inflationary pressures that, that mom and pop are dealing with, that the families, the businesses are dealing with. I get it costs more to run a school district. I mean, inflation is not um, specific to the public or private sector. It, it, it goes across uh, both. But how much consideration should you give when asking for a tax increase that we're living in the most inflationary times of modern American or in modern American history? Well, I would say, you know, your audience probably thinks there's never a good time. Even when even when the economy's good, taxes are still bad. I mean, that's just a philosophical <laughs> thing. Um, and so two things I would say to that. One, as I just explained, uh, we could raise taxes almost 27 mils. We're only asking, only, and I hate to use it that way, but we've looked at it and said, what what is that gauge to say, here's what we need to operate, what we really need. So I think that again, builds that trust of saying, I'm only asking for a quarter of what I could get. Uh, most in the establishment would say, go for it all so you can have it to spend. Um, I think the second thing is we have not raised the operating millage and we've produced results academically, athletically, in the arts, facilities-wise. So we, we've tried to maintain that. So I, I think those two items show that we are concerned about, I'm a taxpayer, I don't like taxes. I know I'm from New Jersey. I know all that stuff, but I don't like taxes either. Um, so I, I, I think that's a big thing. I, I talked about how my my board made in my contract that I have to live here. So when I make those decisions, and I only am infected, but I have to go out into the community and 
when I go to the grocery store to defend that. So I think that's a real big thing on, on the minds of myself um, and, and those uh, on the board. You, you mentioned uh, a while back, or maybe it was on the air, maybe it was off the air, but, um, but the culture of education, that's my concern. I mean, I'm back to philosophy here, that, that educators have historically believed that their mission, their job, whatever it takes, I mean, however much money we need. I told you the story about when I was lieutenant governor, I went to an event, you know, the, these counties, they have a Lexington County Day and a Florence County Day and a, and a Darlington County Day. And, and I went for a friend of ours, a senator, um, asked me to go and, and, and attend the Lexington County Day. And I got involved in a conversation with a someone in a similar position to yours. And, I, and you know, in, in a very respectful fashion, I said, you know, exactly how much money does education need? And, and he said, all of it. We, we'll never have enough. But there, there's a mindset of a lot of conservatives in America that education will never have enough. We're feeding a beast. That there's a monster there that is charged with doing something very important to the social construct of our of our. I mean, how do you? I mean, what do you say to that person? Not, not you personally or specifically, but but the mindset of the culture of education that that you know we need more, 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 more. We'll never ever have enough. Uh, I've never taken that. Do position. you accept that as a reality? No, absolutely not. And I think my career has, I finished my 19th year as a superintendent and I've never had that mindset and I've always been accountable financially and done those things. And I think that's a real good question. And here's what's scary about it is, you know, as you saw the legislature just do with, with choice and, and giving. So you have to think of the establishment side is, from, from the legislature, they're like, well, we're going to give choice and that'll drive competition. The establishment doesn't think that way. They're going to say, all right, take the money. You still have to give us money and it is what it is. We don't want to be better, but we know we're going to get paid. So it actually erodes more and more from the kids who need it the most than it does to solve. And, and that's the frustrating thing for me is that the legislature is constantly trying to figure it out but they're against a monster that doesn't want to improve, doesn't want to. And they know, almost like in the tax abatement, they know they're going to get their money and whoever suffers, suffers, um, which is a sad thing. That's why we're 47, because they don't want to compete. I, I want to compete. I mean, I'm under the mindset you know, we're absolutely in the opposite direction. We've got private school kids coming to us by the dozens and, and people coming out of the charter schools. We just closed the charter school. We, uh, we made the decision that, hey, if you're not going to be improving, we're, we're gonna, you got to be the standards that we, we set. That is excellence. And so I think that's sort of the nature of what the voucher bill or whatever you want to call it is. It's, it's, it's eroding the kids who need the most, and, but they think they're helping the most. And it, there's no sense of competition because remember, most people in my position have never been in the business world. Most people just work their way through a system. They get there at a certain period in their life and they just want to keep it status quo. Don't rock the boat. I want to get to my pension and move on. Not many people are like me to say, we want to compete. We want to be the best. So, so how pervasive is that mindset and how do we root it out? I mean, that, that, that's, that's rotting the culture of education. I mean, you just talked about the education establishment. I mean, I refer to it as the education cartel. I mean, it's not a meritocracy. They honestly, I mean, this is unfair to say they don't care about the kid. I mean, that, that's an insult that they probably don't deserve, but they don't care about uh, performance. 
that they're not as interested in how much better we educate kids in South Carolina. It is how long before I can retire, how much retirement do I get, and is my health care secure until the day I die? Is that a fair criticism amongst many Americans as it relates to the education establishment? It is, but I, I don't want to paint everybody with the same fair brush. Enough. But that that's what you're up against. Those who have the control of the money, it's all a finger-pointing game. And I think here in South Carolina, we're so worried about teachers' unions, but we almost have it worse because in some sense, the teachers' unions are held to a higher standard of accountability of academic performance and performance than we have here because they just throw up their hands and say, listen, constitutionally, you know we're go- we're going to get the money. Whatever it is, we just got to fulfill that minimally adequate and then we're all doing just okay. Why have we been, I mean, I'm interrupted you, but why have we been okay with minimally adequate for as long as we have? I have no damn idea, to be honest with you. I don't know how else to say it. It's just, it is the most frustrating thing. You know, last night we had a board workshop about our goals, and, and I said the underlying goal has to be we have to wage war on minimally adequate. That's how we get to where we need to be. And, and that's, I don't know why that's acceptable. I just... I just don't understand why. And it's been in, in it's been everyone. And, for, you know, my colleagues probably don't like me because I've challenged that. I've challenged the go along to get along. If you have a teacher, I need a teacher. I'm coming after your teacher. I, that's that's the nature of competition. That's how it has to work. But yet they don't think that way and they'll isolate me and, and, and do those things. But you know me, I don't back down. <laughs> the superintendent of education ran as a reformer. Uh, Ellen Weaver ran as a change agent. I mean, you, you know, I don't know how much you interact with the superintendent of education, but but if indeed she has the ability to influence, you know, the, the quality of education kids receive in South Carolina, and we are battling some of these cultural generational issues. Um, I mean, what advice would you give uh, to, to somebody like Ellen who ran uh, as a reformer change agent and, and they'll find out how hard it is. I mean, you know this as well as I do. It's easy to run as a reformer. It's damn hard to reform. Um, yeah, I, I would say even my, my nature of politics, I like running for politics. I hate the governing part of it. Um, so I, I think she needs to look at how to, how to, I talk about not ruffling feathers, but plucking those feathers to make it feel different. What we do is we, we try to gauge in competition and how can we challenge that? And we work over here, but we never fix the actual establishment. I think there needs to be an accountability system. There needs to be a change in leadership and how you go about doing those things. I just, it's, it's a hard system. It's politically driven. I think it needs to be rewarded. I think places like Florence should be rewarded for the actual things that we're doing. Um, and I think some local control needs to happen. I would hope that our delegation would, Maybe say, listen, we, we, we want to be like Texas. We want to go away from the union and we want because we know we could do it better. And under your rules, we're never going to get there because you're trying to make everybody play. So I, I don't want to give her advice on how to do those things, but I will say you have to blow it up and start again. That's interesting to hear from an educator or to hear an educator um, say that. Last question. Appreciate your time. Dr. Rich O'Malley, superintendent of Florence District 1, is here. I, I want to get a bit philosophical here, and it sounds like a campaign speech or closing <laughs> argument on a debate. Um, I mean, I, I, I study this a lot, and I think my opinion has some credibility with some people out there who, who believe that I give the effort necessary to better understand your position. I respect your position. I may disagree with it, but I respect it nonetheless. 
Here's my concern, and, and this is kind of a macro argument, but it does play into a lot of what we've talked about for an hour and 15 minutes. The government's growing at about 1% faster rate than the private sector is, 16 quarters consecutively. Now, now I argue, and you and I could have a beer and talk about what happened after 2008, you know, where the government bailed out the banks and, and what America looks like post-2008. Um, the, the, the reality is that the, the, the growth of government is outpacing the private sector by roughly 25%. When you raise taxes, you transfer a certain amount of wealth from the private sector to the public sector. I believe that inhibits economic growth. I'm not saying you waste the money. I'm not saying you're, laser, you're not laser focused on better educating young kids, but that is an economic reality in a macro sense. That's why I'm naturally opposed to raising taxes because it empowers the government with more of our economy's funds. Convince me, because I think if you convince me, you convince many others like me why this is a worthy cause and should be supported. Well, I think because it's the fundamental part of a, a community is schools, police and fire. All those are all paid through taxes. That is what a community says they value. And what I'm trying to make the argument is that your public school, and, and I see it. Uh, when I'm out, people are very thankful of how we've changed our public schools here in Florence. And I think people wanted, want to invest in that. And that's that's something that that we should say is that we want to make our community better, and that's what we do. We've we've have a track record of of not just raising taxes because we can, and we've not raised them as much as we can. And I think that is what we try to build is that trust and that I I can't. I, I think government finds a way to always fund another program. I mean, you just think of the money that that sixty two million that I. Where did that come from? I mean, why can't you feed my kids? I mean, why can't you build affordable housing? All of a sudden, my wife's a hundred percent Ukrainian, so I, I, you know, the war in Ukraine is very serious to us. But we find money all the time to just send it over. Why don't we take care of us first? I, I, I think for the Trumpers out there, that that's the underlying theme. What about me? And what I'm trying to say is, I understand about you. Um, I've tried to do my best to explain why I need the money and what it is. I'm a victim of how I get my money and then who gives me the money. I can't change that. But I can just say, I think we've run a very good school district. I think we've had some really good outcomes of what a community would want. And I I don't believe that we always say um, we need more money. I'm not of the opinion that never, we're never going to have enough. I can say, I'm appreciative of what I have, and let me show you what I can do with it. And therefore, the next time I really need it, you're going to trust me a little bit more. But nobody likes taxes because we just keep spending. Nobody ever gets rid of a program. They just add on to it. So until you have politicians who are courageous and say whatever the hell they want like us, nobody's going to actually run to say, I don't give a darn if I'm ever reelected again. I'm going to fix this get rid of these programs and make real courageous decisions. Um, it's never going to happen. And we're just, we're, we're sort of what I call boogeyman politics and an angry economy. You have to be angry. Bud Light's a great example. We got to be angry at someone that affects the economy. Boogeyman is there's someone over there. And what I'm trying to say is the boogeyman is your neighbor. 
Your neighbor is the government. Your neighbor is the person running the school district. And if you want your community to be better, you really have to show that you have to invest in your public what schools. What metric are you most proud of relating to improvement of education in Florence District 1? I mean, is it graduation rate? Is it, uh, you know, um, the number of fights we've had? Is it uh, proficiency in reading? Or I mean, what number? I mean, this is probably unfair. There's probably not a single number. But if there were a single number that, that encourages you and motivates you to know where it's, it's working and we are giving a better quality education in District 1, what, what would that number or metric be? I would say it's a qualitative measure, not a metric for me. And what I mean by that is that the guy from New Jersey, who's a Clemson Tiger, who pretty much that narrows it down to the people who would like me less than 1% of one, um, come up to me and say, I appreciate what you've done for our school district. And they tend not to have kids in the school district as well as having kids. To me, that's the greatest metric that I can have that people recognize and they believe in their public schools and they want better for their community. So to me, that that outweighs anything. Graduation rate, you know, test scores that those people understand, they're listening, they're paying attention and recognize that. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Dr. Rich O'Malley, superintendent of Florence School District 1. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. I want to thank our sponsors. Carolina Bank serves communities throughout northeastern South Carolina, offering a wide range of services to meet every personal or business need from straightforward accounts to complex finances. They're prepared to help you reach your financial goals. Carolina Bank, banking on tradition since 1936. Member FDIC Schofields, Ace Hardware, your one-stop shop for all hardware, paint and lawn and garden needs, plus all things sporting goods, including firearms, safes, clothing, footwear, and more. Pepsi of Florence represent the entire product line of PepsiCo, one of the world's leading Food and beverage companies, Pepsi of Florence, also serve brands from other great companies such as Dr. Pepper, Canada Dry, Lipton Tea, Gatorade, and various regional brands. Mickey Finn's, largest South Carolina liquor wholesaler, serving every county in the state, largest bourbon selection statewide. They ship wines to 43 states, opening soon a new beverage warehouse across from Bucky's on I-95 in Florence. They support USC athletics, including Williams, Bryce, and Colonial Life Arena. Marlboro PD Electric Co-op. If you're in big business and looking for an industrial park in the south to build your new plant, consider Marlboro PD Electric Co-op's new PD Commerce Center. Uh, an industrial park located at the I-95 exit in Florence, South Carolina. Check it out at MPDC Co-op or PDEC.com. 